G'day again, everyone. It's great to be with you. Uh, if I can just uh, commend that habit challenge to you, if you're uh, someone who, like many, many, many of us, struggle uh, to regularly read your Bible or pray, uh, then why not just join that and be a part of it? And uh, you'll notice St George North has moved into the 20th century over the last couple of weeks, and uh, you can sign up by using a QR code on your uh, uh, on your. Um, weekly snack. You can also sign up for the big day out using a QR code. It's all so easy. So there you go. But uh, take advantage of that. But I'll pray as we look at this wonderful chapter from the book of Acts. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you that in your word you have spoken to us and that we can come to know Jesus and learn how to live for him uh, as well as find salvation in him. And so we pray that as we look at this wonderful chapter from Acts that you will help us Uh, to be ready to learn what you have to teach us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. It's funny how uh, certain passages in the Bible trigger memories for you, Uh, and this passage is one of those for me. Before we went to Bible college at the church where Victoria and I were, the church where I became a Christian, actually, uh, in the Sunday school, we used to sing a song based on the miracle in uh, today's story. Uh, It was a really old song, not Colin Buchanan-worthy, uh, but uh, some of you might remember it. I'm going to sing a bit. Feel free to join in if you are from a different era. It goes like this. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Some of you know it. He asked for some arms and he put out his palms and this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. That shall I have, give I thee. The lines are different on the internet. But in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And then there was a chorus that went like this. He went walking and leaping and praising God. See, so isn't that great? There you go. We can stop now. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, and I'm, and I'm sorry for those of you that didn't grow up in a Sunday school or a youth group that sang such cool songs as that. But uh, for that part in our Sunday school class, all the kids would get up on their chairs and jump off the chair because uh, they were jumping and leaping and praising God. But on this one particular morning, uh, one of the kids jumps off his chair, falls over and breaks his arm. And uh, let me tell you, he did not rise up and walk straight away. Uh, there were tears for a number of hours. And again, let me tell you, his parents did not seem to get the irony when we told them he had heard himself in a song about healing a lame man. But uh, anyway, because of that, I always remember this story and I cannot read this chapter without breaking into song and we've done it together. But it's a story worth remembering because it's a great moment. Uh, it's part of what we get at the start of the book of Acts. You've seen Acts chapter 1 and 2 over the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's part of what we get, which is this triumphant sort of march of the growth of the gospel. Uh, the o- opening chapters of Acts are just incredibly optimistic. You saw the day of Pentecost last week in chapter 2 with the coming of the Holy Spirit. And it tells us thousands of people were converted I- in one day. And then it tells us every day new people were being saved. So it's this wonderful picture where the church goes from 120 people sort of gathered, clustered together in, in a room, if you like, to thousands almost overnight. They would have had great stories to tell at their big day out. But uh, more than that, it was thriving. So let's flick back to the end of chapter 2 last week. Uh, I think Troy only just sort of touched on it, if, if I remember rightly, hearing from him, uh, that uh, it's describing gatherings of fully committed people. That's what you get at the end of chapter 2. It's a picture of what God is doing to start His church. These people are 
devoted to the gospel, they're devoted to one another, they're committed to reading the scriptures together, committed to listening to the apostles' teaching, committed to prayer and committed to one another. And now, as we get to chapter 3, even miracles like this one are happening. So what it is, is this wonderful, as I say, almost triumphant picture of what God is doing to start His church. So let's look at it together, we'll start with the miracle and I've called the first part the power of the gospel, verses 1 to 10. So here are Peter and John, that's two of Jesus' apostles, they had quickly become the leaders of the apostles uh, and on this afternoon they're going up to the temple to pray. That actually gives you a a real insight into the early church, it's actually important. Uh, They still went to the temple because they were Jews, they didn't see we're starting a new religion, Uh, they had come to know the Messiah that all Jews should come to know, the one the Old Testament had promised and so they were the true Jews. So the temple was theirs, was their way of looking at it. So they went there in the hope that their brothers and sisters, the other Jews, would come to know Jesus as well. So every day they went to the temple, probably morning and afternoon, today was no different. Then in verse 2, they meet this crippled man, it tells us he'd been lame from birth. So this is no sprained ankle, Uh, this man had never walked, And so obviously what would happen is friends would carry him up, they'd place him at this prominent place uh, to beg and if you think about it, if faithful people going to the temple aren't going to be generous to you, then then who is? Uh, But understand how hopeless his situation was. This was his life, totally helpless. There was no social welfare system then, Uh, he was totally reliant on the generosity of other people to keep him alive. And so he sees Peter and John coming, he asks them for help, Now, I don't think he thinks there's some apostles or there's some Christians. He wouldn't have even known what a Christian was or what an apostle was at this point. It's just he asked everyone for help as they were coming past and that's where the story gets interesting. Come to verse 4. It says, Peter, along with John, looked at him intently and said, look at us. So he turned to them, expecting to get something from them. That is such a great line, I think. He's expecting to get a couple of denarii, maybe a a, a silver coin. Well, he's going to get something, but far more than he ever dreamed of. Look at verse 6. But Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up, and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up, stood and started to walk. And he entered the temple complex with them, walking, leaping and praising God. Almost makes you want to get up on your chair and jump off, doesn't it? But (laughs) don't do that. Uh, It's just a great story. Uh, But let's think about this miracle. Run your eyes over it again. What What do you notice about it? I hope you see that this miracle is very much like Jesus's miracles. It it may as well have been back in Luke's gospel because it's so much like what Jesus did when he saw a person like this. It's instantaneous. The the man's legs are are immediately healed. There's no medical rationale for for what happened. Jesus' miracles were with a word or a touch, just like this miracle is. And that is so important because there is a reason this miracle is so similar to Jesus' miracles and that's because this is still Jesus' miracle. It's really important to see Peter and John do not claim any credit for this. In fact, for the whole chapter, you notice how many times they said, it's not us. You see, they want to stress, it's not our power at work. Look again at verse 6. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Now, remember when you looked at at chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, uh, I, I think Josh stressed how Acts is not a new story. 
how it's a continuation of Jesus's story. It's still all about Jesus. Well, this is making that same point. Yes, now the miracles are through the apostles, but it's Jesus who healed this man, not Peter, not John. It's a bit like when the billionaire makes the big donation and he sends along his secretary with the, the massive check. You, you could say in one sense, oh, look, isn't that secretary kind giving us the donation? But everyone knows where the money actually came from. Well, here it's Jesus who's giving this man life. So why does this miracle happen? Other than just that Peter and John are struck by the man's need. Well, two things, I think. First is, as I've just said, it validates that the apostles are continuing Jesus's ministry. The apostles, especially Peter and Paul, later on when we, when we meet Paul, they do a number of miracles in Acts and the purpose is nearly always to validate their apostleship. It, what I mean by that is the miracles confirm, I speak for Jesus. I am continuing Jesus's ministry. So that's one thing this, this miracle points out. But secondly, like so many of Jesus' miracles, this is an acted out picture of the gospel. So many of Jesus' miracles are just like the most vivid sermon illustrations you'll ever see. Uh, they, they, They say what his words are saying, if you like. So in the same way that Jesus gave this man life, because that's what Jesus did, he restored his life to him, so does the gospel give us life. In the same way that Jesus saved this man, so Jesus saves anyone who turns and trusts in him. Just by the by on this, people have to make big arguments from miracles like this that Jesus was modelling for us that we should heal the lame and, 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 and all that sort of thing and care for the sick and so forth. Uh, that's not why this miracle is here. It's not, not here to call on us to, to do the same thing. We care for the poor, we care for the sick, Christians should do that because as disciples of Jesus, we're called to love our neighbour. Uh, We're called to love people. We love as Christ first loved us. But if you take anything from this story, it's not go out and heal lame people. It's make sure when you do anything that people know you do it because of Jesus. Make sure that when you go and love people, as you should as a disciple of Jesus, they know that it's for the name of Jesus. What what good is it for people to think that that Rob is, is generous if they don't know that he's generous because he knows the love of Jesus? What good is it for people to know that I'm generous if they don't know that I'm generous and I love them because of the name of Jesus? Because then I or Rob get the glory, not Jesus. So whatever good we do, whatever love we show, we do it so that Jesus' name is known and glorified, not so that our name is. Let's come back to the story. Because the story doesn't end with the healing. As the man walked around the temple complex praising God, the people are amazed because they said, hang on, that's the guy we used to walk past on the mat and here he is leaping and jumping and praising God. They knew this man, they'd thrown coins in his cup and so the people are surprised, they're amazed, news spreads, a large crowd gathers and just like last week at Pentecost, Peter once again sees this as an opportunity to move from the miracle to, like I said, telling people about the one behind the miracle, our Lord Jesus. So, second part of our our passage, I've called the message of the gospel, verses 11 to 26. So, here are Peter and John, all the people come flocking, what do they do? They preach the gospel. Now, there's so much in these sermons in Acts. You saw that last week in chapter 2, I'm sure Troy could only really touch the surface uh, in a sermon on a a Sunday morning. Uh, Just remember how wonderful Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3 are. These are the first Christian sermons, 
See how amazing that is? We are listening to, last week and this week, the first Christian sermons. That makes them pretty important. But what I want us to see, of all that's in it, I want us to see three big key points of what Peter has to say. The first is, it's all about Jesus. Look from verse 12. When Peter saw this, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. It's that point from before, don't give us the credit, it's Jesus we want you to know. We are just the channel, Jesus is the one you need to meet. Remember that when you share your story. You know, we talk about sharing our testimony, the story of how we became a Christian. Sometimes I I hear people talk about it and it's all about them. Our story should be about Jesus. That's the one we want people to know. And do you notice just how much he packs in about who Jesus is in this little sermon? I counted that he gave Jesus four or even five different titles in this short speech. Just scan your eyes down it. First of all, verse 13, he's the servant of God. Jesus is stressing, if you know your Old Testament, that Jesus is the one the Old Testament promised. Isaiah 53, the servant who would come to pay the price for our sins. Then he calls him, secondly, the holy and righteous one in verse 14. That's a title for God. Only God is pure. Only God is holy and righteous. Then verse 15, he is the source of life. I think that's the most incredible one. He's saying this this man, Jesus, is more than a man. He was there when God created the world in the beginning. Uh, And more than that, his resurrection has now given us new life, eternal life. Jesus is the source of both this life and our eternal life. The book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, expands that out for us. Then fourthly, verse 18, he is the Messiah. That is God's promised King and Saviour from the Old Testament. Then fifthly, he is the promised prophet, the new Moses. That's what that Deuteronomy reading was about. The one who God said would come and who you must listen to. Now I could spend an hour unpacking every one of those titles for Jesus. That's what the rest of the New Testament does. The rest of the New Testament expands on all of those. That's for another day though. The point is, it's this Jesus that Peter wants people to come to know and who we must want people to know. The gospel at its heart is not a philosophy for life. The the gospel is not like other religions. Christianity is not a religion in, in that sense. We don't have, first and foremost, a better way of life to share with people. Christianity is sharing the good news about the person of Jesus. We want people to come to know Jesus like we have. We, we share the news of God's servant. We share the news of the one who speaks for God, the holy and righteous one, the source of life, God's Messiah who came to save us. That's our gospel. And we want people to come to know Jesus like we have come to know Jesus. So let's take every opportunity, like Peter and John, to tell people about him. Second thing you see from this sermon is that the gospel demands a response. I think what strikes me more than anything else, as I read Peter's speech here, is just how bold he is. It's interesting, uh, whenever we, we, we read this out loud, uh, every time we Christians are too well-mannered. Peter was yelling at them. He was calling them names. He was, it, it's, it's amazing. It, it, there's no toning it down for Peter. Remember, he's preaching in Jerusalem to the people who called 
for Jesus to be crucified. And he's doing it about a month later. And, and he wants them to know, what you did was awful. And he wants them to realise more than anything else, their guilt before God. But now, to say what he does, it takes a lot of guts. Look at some of the things he says. Look at verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, whom you handed over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. Pilate was going to let him go. And you guys made sure he got killed. And then look at verse 14. He says, but you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. Do you remember the story? They said, give us Barabbas instead, the murderer, rather than Jesus who's done nothing wrong. And then I think most powerfully, verse 15, you killed the source of life. Doesn't that just capture it? You killed the one who gives you life. It's no wonder next week we're looking at how Peter and John got arrested after this talk. Now, I want to say this is not a model of exactly how we're meant to share the gospel. If I hear that on Monday morning some of you are down at uh, Bexley North train station yelling at people in this way, uh, no, those, those were specific sins of that moment in time. But at the same time, to preach the gospel faithfully, we must confront people about the reality of sin. See, to come to know Jesus requires recognising that we are guilty before God. To come to know Jesus requires recognising I have rejected the God who made me and I deserve his judgment. We need to hear that our sins mean God had to send his son to pay the price on our behalf. And that takes boldness, doesn't it, to share that message? Because some people will not like it. You see, that's why Paul says the message of the gospel will be the stench of death to some. When we proclaim the gospel clearly, some people will hate it. They won't like it. But remember, it will be the aroma of life to others, as I trust it has been for you, as you've come to know that forgiveness. Got a musical interlude here, but that's all right. Uh, You know, when we do the life course, sometimes I'm the one preaching. But on night two, on the second week, I feel uncomfortable and I'm often the one preaching. I feel it because it's on night two of the life course that we say we are sinners who need a saviour. And that message confronts people, but unless you share it, no one can be saved. See, to share the gospel, ultimately, we have to tell people we are sinners, not in a judgmental way. Hopefully we share it and say, and so am I, but I've come to know Jesus. And to share the gospel, ultimately, we have to do what Peter did. We need to invite a, prom- invite a response of repentance. Peter doesn't just want them to feel guilty for, for the sake of feeling guilty. He wants them to do what he has done. He wants them to repent and turn around and turn back to God and put their faith in Jesus. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out. Now, we haven't actually shared the gospel with someone until we share how you benefit from it. To become a Christian is to repent. It's to turn away from our old way of life with living as our, with ourselves, deciding right and wrong and turning to trust in Jesus and follow him. Do you know, sometimes I talk to people who've been around church for a long time, they know all about Jesus, they know that Jesus died for sins, they know he rose to life and defeated death, but they are not converted, they are not saved because they have never repented. 
They've never made that fundamental change to say, now I trust in Jesus. Jesus is now my Lord. Now I live to follow him. So I pray that you have repented and turned to Jesus. But if you haven't, just come and talk to me. Talk to Josh quietly and let's talk about it together. But for all of us, we need to pray for Peter's boldness, don't we? We need to pray that we would have the courage to set out the truth of the gospel unashamedly, to invite people to come and hear that gospel unashamedly and pray that we would have the courage to tell people the truth about sin and guilt, the courage to invite people to repent and turn to Jesus. So we've seen the gospel is all about Jesus. We've seen it takes boldness to preach that gospel because it demands a response. But lastly, the reason Peter could be so bold is he knew, and my third and final heading, the gospel is the most beautiful news. So yes, Peter makes this incredibly bold call, but he also shows them three wonderful blessings for people who turn to Jesus. Firstly, look at verse 19. It says, Therefore repent and turn back, so that your sins may be wiped out. Isn't that just the most wonderful picture of forgiveness? Uh, it's like our sins are recorded on a whiteboard and Jesus just comes and, and erases them all. They're, they're taking, actually, it's better than that because I can never get a whiteboard to not leave a shadow when I rub it out. You know, it always leaves what you've written on there. That's not the case with Jesus. Jesus totally removes our sin. He leaves nothing behind. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins. I know we talk about it every time we meet But do not ever stop realising how wonderful the forgiveness of Jesus is. Do not ever get to that point where you take it for granted. Instead of facing God's judgement like I deserve, my sin is wiped away. And if you think about it, if that offer can be made to the people who killed the source of life, then that offer is open to anyone, isn't it? That offer is for all. But more than that, Jesus also offers, secondly times of refreshing look at verse 19 again he says therefore repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the lord god does not just forgive you he refreshes you Uh, i don't think we're meant to define this precisely it's talking about that refreshment that comes from knowing god i think this is incredible God doesn't just forgive us and then say, now go sit in the corner and I don't want to hear from you. That's actually more than we deserve, isn't it? If you really understand the depths of our sins, it's just amazing God forgives us. But he doesn't just forgive us and then say, now I'll tolerate you. God forgives us and then showers his blessings upon us. You see, this is talking about that refreshment that comes from knowing God. It comes through the Holy Spirit, as we saw last week at Pentecost. That awful burden of wondering can I ever be good enough for God? That uncertainty of what will happen to me is gone. God's lifted it off our shoulders. We have the joy of knowing God as our Father. We have that joy that comes from knowing God is in control, whatever happens. The the gospel doesn't just offer a future hope. It actually offers a release from the burdens of this world now. Josh uh, read this verse before. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. That is the promise for those who turn and trust in Jesus. But of course, those times of refreshing are because Jesus offers us a future hope, and that's the third and final blessing. And I've called it the return of Jesus, 
and the restoration of all things. Look at verse 20. And that he, God, may send Jesus, who has been appointed for you as the Messiah, heaven must welcome him until the times of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about by the mouth of his holy prophets from the beginning. Yes, we have refreshment now through Jesus, but we long for him to return. Our world is broken. It has pain and suffering and sickness and evil. You only have to have looked at the news for the last couple of weeks, seen what's happening in, in Syria or, or in Turkey or in the Ukraine. Our world is broken and we cannot fix it with education. Our modern world thinks if people just got educated, if we just educate everyone, we'd fix the world. No, that just means we learn how to sin better. You, you can't fix it with, with social reform. As good as those things can be, they only ever deal with the short-term symptoms. When Christ returns, he will bring a new creation, a new heavens and a new earth where there will be no more tears and no more pain and no more suffering and no more sin and no more evil. That is what we look forward to when Christ returns. That's why Christians pray, come Lord Jesus. Our world is broken and it is only the return of Christ that will bring the freedom from pain and sin and suffering that we need. So that's what Jesus offers us. He offers us total forgiveness of our sins. He offers us total refreshment of our souls now and a certain hope that cannot be taken away from us. Brothers and sisters, isn't that just the most wonderful news in the world? Got a few nods there. Isn't that just the most wonderful news in the world? Yes. Isn't that why we've repented and turned and followed Jesus? And isn't that why we long for every person to come to know Jesus like we have? Of course, that's why we jump and we leap and we praise God just like this man did because we have come to know the life that only Jesus offers. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful moment in the history of your people. We thank you that Jesus alone offers us life and we thank you that we have come to know him and so we have experienced that forgiveness of sins, we have experienced that release of burdens and we look forward to the day when Christ will return in glory and our world will be made as it should be. In Jesus' name, Amen.